This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 12, Big Bethel and Wheat Street. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope you all had a magical Thanksgiving to those that celebrated it. And I hope that everyone gets outside this weekend, enjoys their time off with their friends and family, because I know I am definitely doing that. And today I am recording again in my favorite fun place, my daughter's play tent at my parents' house. Um, and there are lots of adults, lots of kids, and two very big dogs here. So if you hear anything strange, just I need a little bit of a pass this week. And being that it's a holiday, I was trying to make my life easier by choosing a topic that I'm comfortable with. And for me, that's always anything on Auburn Avenue. So this week we're doing the churches of Sweet Auburn. Big Bethel, and Wheat Street. And yes, before you guys email me, I know that I'm leaving out Ebenezer Baptist Church. At first, I was going to do all three. But guys, it's a holiday, and I'm barely making it. So truthfully, I really wanted to leave Ebenezer for a future episode that's solely about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and kind of do, you know, his house, where he played, where he worked, and then where he preached. And so that's my excuse, but I am going to save it for the future. And today, I'm just going to talk about two. And even though I've been researching the history on Auburn Avenue for at least four or five years now, I still learned a few new things when I did this episode, so I'm excited to share the stories with you guys. I'm going to start with Big Bethel and move up, and I think that I have mentioned this church now in three other episodes, but if you can't tell, it's kind of my favorite. Don't tell the other ones. And recently, I got to go inside twice, and I will tell you guys about that later. I like to take the story of Big Bethel way, way back to a man named Ransom. In Civil War Atlanta, there are only two property-owning African-Americans. One was a woman, and boy, do I hope to tell you that in a future episode. And the other was a man named Ransom Montgomery. He was a slave owned by Major James Montgomery, who was one of the first settlers in DeKalb County. In 1849, Ransom saves a 100 people that were trapped in a Western and Atlantic rail car over a burning bridge on the Chattahoochee. The bridge was on fire, and the train's car gets stuck out there. To reward his heroism, he's freed, but not really. He's basically purchased by the state of Georgia, who ensured, so they claimed, that he would live a life near as free as the law allowed. So they gave him a home, they gave him a little plot of land, and they gave him a job selling cakes and coffees to passengers um, in the train station. To date, he was the only slave to ever be owned by the state of Georgia. Now, Ransom had a brother named Andrew, who was a Methodist minister in the African-American community. An early congregation of slaves formed in 1847, when they were allowed assembly to worship in their master's union church. Around 1855, Ransom and Andrew went to railroad engineer and landowner L.P. Grant, sounds familiar if you listen to the Grant Park episode, and they asked him for land on which to build a church. L.P. gave them a spot downtown on the corner of what is now Cortland and Andrew Young International, if I have my street name conversions right. And let me just say, There is a Wikipedia page called Former Atlanta Street Names. I go on there at least three times a week. (laughs) So Atlanta, just stop changing road names for me. The Bethel Tabernacle is constructed in that spot as a Methodist church. 
When the Civil War reached Atlanta, the church was actually used by Union troops as a hospital and then destroyed. And L.P. Grant gets the property back after the war and returns it to the congregation. At this point, the church decided to sell and move to another location. And that location would be Auburn Avenue. More specifically, 220 Auburn Avenue, which is at the corner of Jesse Hill Jr. Drive. In 1868, a grand Victorian church building was built for the congregation. Like every church in the African-American community, this was more than just a church. After the Civil War, the church served as an employment bureau for female domestic laborers. In 1879, the first public school for black Atlantans, called Gate City Colored School, began in the basement. The very first classes of Morris Brown were held in that same basement. And fun fact, I think I've mentioned before, but Morris Brown is the only HBCU, historically black college and university, that was started solely by African-Americans. If you listened to the episode on Gaines Hall, I explained a little bit more in detail, but the other schools like Spelman or Morehouse were funded with northern white missionary money. So Morris Brown is a little extra special. During the progressive era, also talked about that last week, women from the church formed a benevolent society that was an early form of mutual aid. In 1936, John Wesley Dobbs, my favorite Atlantan, by the way, with his own episode coming very soon, spent two hours at the pulpit rallying the black voting power in Atlanta. And that night, he proposes organizing the Atlanta Civic and Political League, which would go on to register 10,000 black voters. In 1920, the NAACP held their first Southern Convention, and it was at Big Bethel. During the Civil Rights Movement, the church lent their space for rallies, and Dr. King appeared there at a NAACP rally after the Montgomery bus boycott. Sadly, in the early 1920s, the church catches on fire, one day after their building insurance lapses. Throughout the rest of the decade, the church shoulders the burden of paying for the rebuild, and the structure is redesigned by African-American architect J.A. Lankford and rebuilt by none other than Alexander Hamilton from episode one. This is when the church lost the Victorian look and it turned Romanesque. And excuse my crude attempt to explain architecture styles, but this new look was very castle-like. And that's the feeling it still gets today. It still, to me, looks like a castle. I have a photo on the website, Facebook, and Instagram for you guys to see. But I think the idea with this new design was saying, like, hey, I know we just burned down, but we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to be here for another century, I promise. It was during this rebuilding that they put up the iconic Jesus Saves neon sign that's at the very top of the steeple and has been lighting up the skyline for almost a whole century. Also during the rebuild, they installed um, like an $8,000 organ, which is still in there today. Now to help pay for this rebuild, there were two Sunday school teachers, Lula Jones and Nellie Davis, that had an idea. They wrote a play called Heavenbound that was hopefully, you know, the money that would bring in could help the church. It was first performed in February of 1930. It's a folk drama that portrays a group of people striving to reach the gates of heaven. This was African-American pioneer theater. There was, you know, we're talking about segregated Atlanta, so there is no other theater for blacks, um, especially, and if they had African-American subject matter in plays, it was usually pretty racist. Integrated crowds would pack Big Bethel at a time when segregation was the norm. And the play would go on to tour the Southeast um, in the 30s, and the choir performed for President Roosevelt and at the premiere of Gone with the Wind. By the turn of the century, Heavenbound had become one of the longest continually running theater productions in the entire nation. And now, the most exciting part is I finally got to see it. 
I had been talking about it for four years. I even met a woman once I was outside of Bethel talking about it and she was in her car and she rolls down the window. She goes, I'm in the play. But my boyfriend surprised me with tickets a few weeks ago. And I, I mean, I cannot say, I'll probably talk about it for 20 minutes if you let me, but everyone needs to go see it. So it started off a little strange. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. This is just going to be something I'm going to have to suffer through. But five minutes into that, I'm like, okay, no, this is amazing. And it's very homemade, but done really well. And the people that are acting are church members. They're incredible. The singing is incredible. And it's to me, it's amazing to watch something. I think it's it was the 88th production. So it's like I am – you know, kind of participating in something that has been happening every year for 88 years. And it's still an integrated crowd and people are still excited to watch it. And um, it was really a big deal for me. I also got to go inside Big Bethel before that when they had um, Open House Atlanta, the church was open for tours. That was really great because I got to go in and take more time. It was really just um, me, my boyfriend and I talking to one of the people about the history and taking pictures they have a ton of light fixtures that look original to the rebuild, so probably 30s. And the guy was telling me that, you know, at this point, they really have to be replaced. So I've been taking pictures the whole time I was in there of all the light fixtures so I can remember them. Now let's travel up the street to Wheat Street Baptist. Before we get into the church itself, I want to talk about its name. So if you've been on Auburn Avenue or in the surrounding Old Fourth Ward, you've seen the word wheat thrown around. There's an old Wheat Street, Wheat Street Baptist, and it was named for Augustus Wheat, a German merchant who owned a large grocery and warehouse in downtown Atlanta. The white residents of the area actually voted to change the name to Auburn Avenue in 1893 because it sounded more cosmopolitan. So for anyone wondering why Wheat Street Baptist is on Auburn Avenue, now you know. In 1869, a group of parishioners from First Baptist Church, which we now know as Friendship Baptist Church, were tired of traveling the long distance from their homes in the Fourth Ward um, all the way out to the church, which is which was right next to the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They asked their pastor for permission to form a small congregation close to their houses and thus began the services in the yard of the first pastor, Reverend Andrew Jackson, who lived on Howell Street. So they would just meet in his yard under a bush arbor. By the late 1800s, the membership had grown to about a 1,000, and a church building was secured at the site of Fort Street and Old Wheat. So that is right off Auburn Avenue. It basically borders the, the wall of the highway. Now, just like Big Bethel, Wheat Street Baptist would also suffer with fire. But this one was way, way bigger. In 1917, Atlanta suffered a great fire that burned most of the Fourth Ward, Episode coming soon, I promise. But Wheat Street was just in the fire path. I checked the map, and I mean, one block away, they would have been fine. But the church was destroyed. They built the new sanctuary in 1921 on Auburn Avenue, which is the building you see today. It stands at 359 Auburn Avenue at the corner of William Holmes Borders Drive. And that's a good segue for me, because since that street is named after the church's fourth pastor, if I have that right, like I said earlier, the black church was always more than just a church, and its leaders were always more than just pastors. In a time in Atlanta where black men could not be elected mayor or city council, leaders of churches acted as all those things. I love telling people about William Holmes Borders because he did so many amazing things. He was from rural Georgia, the son of a preacher, and he served as pastor of Wheat Street from 1937 to 1988. That in itself is crazy. <laughs> when he joined as pastor, the church was in debt and it was struggling. 
Um, but he took them out of debt within a few years. He would deposit church donations in Citizens Trust Bank, which was just down the street. And this was instrumental in getting African-American congregants to trust banks again. Because most of them are, they still have the memories of the Freedmen's Bank failure. And so there was a distrust of banks in general. So to see the pastor of your church take, quote, God's money and put it in a bank, um, it changed people's minds. In 1956, he formed Wheat Street Credit Union, which would provide low-interest loans. A local radio station offered William weekly airtime. He would discuss things like segregation, disenfranchisement, northern migration, and it was a hit. Eventually, became the second-highest-rated broadcast in Atlanta. In 1957, just after the success of the Montgomery bus boycott, a group of 100 black Atlanta ministers formed the Law, Love, and Liberation Movement, which worked on civil rights. They chose six ministers, and one was Dr. King's role model, William Holmes Borders from Wheat Street. The six men boarded the bus, quietly sat in the whites-only section. The bus turned around, went back to the bus barn, basically got taken out of service. Ministers returned to Wheat Street Baptist and basically waited for their arrest as planned. So this was a very um, kind of orchestrated event, but they did all of these things on purpose. So they were arrested, and then a federal lawsuit was filed to force desegregation of Atlanta's buses and trolleys. Now, it took two years, but the court ruled in favor of that, and they made segregated seating unconstitutional in Atlanta. Borders also created the first nonprofit church-owned and operated housing project in the nation. That was kind of crazy for a church to have a hand in that um, for low-income residents. So he put a bid in, I think it was like 22 and a half acres, which was really across the street from the church in Auburn Avenue. And in 1963, they broke ground on Wheat Street Gardens. There was 280 units. A lot of people, this wasn't super long ago, so a lot of people have memories of living in it or seeing it. They did have some issues, um, building issues, structural issues, things like that. And I don't know when exactly they became vacant. They were vacant for a good amount of years, and then they were demolished in about 2008. The space, though, that was left by them was turned into community gardens, which is really cool. And now, like I always say in every episode, Atlanta's really changing. So I'm very closely watching this part of Auburn because it's a lot of empty space. And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what people are going to be interested in that. In 1972, the church built Wheat Street Towers, which was low-income retirement homes. And those towers are still there. They actually just went a renovation and they look amazing. On my walking tour, I always leave my guests with a quote from Borders that I love, and I think it sums up way more eloquently what I'm trying to express in this episode. He says, quote, The preachers would announce, the preachers would encourage, the preachers would tell the masses how much good it would do their children. The preachers marched, the preachers would go to City Hall, the preachers would attend the Board of Education meetings. The preachers were physically and bodily evident wherever the problem was most acute, end quote. And so... I'll leave you guys there. There you have it. The quick story of Big Bethel AME and Wheat Street Baptist. If you have not seen them in person, take a stroll down Auburn Avenue. You will not be disappointed. And make sure you mark your calendars for next year's production of Heavenbound. I will be there. And I think it will be its 89th year. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share, subscribe, leave a review, and tag me in your photos because it really makes my day. Enjoy your long weekend and I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>